Hello and welcome to episode 200. What? Da da da. <laughs> My name's Kirsty Rice. I'm one half of the two fat expats. We've been expats for a very long time. Nikki Moffat, say hello, Nikki Moffat. I almost forgot to say with Nikki Moffat. Hello, Kirsty Rice. How are you? Uh, we are those expat dinosaurs that you meet when you're traveling around the world with Google Maps, Instagram, and Facebook buy and sell groups. We're the ones that tell you all about what life was like before those things existed and what it was like in the the good old days or the bad old (laughs) days, if we're going to be honest. Uh, If you're an expat or an economic migrant, you might want to join our Facebook group, which is called Two Fat Expats. And there's almost 40,000 of us now there. It's a wealth of information when it comes to moving all over the world. How are you, Nikki Moffat, on our 200th episode? Kirsty Rice, long time no see. How are you doing? Very long time. Very long time. (laughs) Such a long time that when I opened our little Google talk that we we keep with our what have you watched, what have you read, all of them had really probably been in the cinemas and been out of the cinemas and been (laughs) on the telly and been off the telly. Um, But, yes, it's been way too long. But I think we've had good reason, haven't we? We should probably explain what you've been up to and what I've been up to. Where have you been, Nikki? Where are you right now? Right now I'm sitting in Brisbane, Australia, in the basement of my, it's not really the basement, it's just the downstairs. I say I live in the basement, but really it's a most magnificent house in Brisbane and I've been staying here for the last seven weeks. I am going home to Denmark tomorrow. I was originally meant to go back after two weeks and I have extended my stay a week at a time or two weeks at a time for lots of different reasons Um, since I arrived. I arrived to bring my daughter to boarding school and now she's two weeks off finishing her first term of boarding school. So (laughs) it's going well. (laughs) I've been to see some of her water polo games, which is a new sport she's taken up. I've uh, been rolled into the boarding house most weekends to, to take her out for a meal or a bit of a shop or something. And so I think that it's been the gentlest introduction to boarding school life that she could possibly have yeah. envisioned. Uh, and I'm really grateful that the other things that have kept me here have, have allowed that for me. Um, our son is also here and he's had some medical tests and we've just been trying to get to the bottom of it and we think we're pretty much there now. So we feel confident that he's got it from here on in and we and uh, my husband has... Um, valiantly been uh, <laughs> surviving alone and continuing his Danish dipping every day as it gets colder and colder and colder <laughs> and darker and darker and darker. And where where are you? Right so now? I am back in Doha, Qatar, and, of course, we have the World Cup right at our doorstep, Nikki. There's all these magnificent things happening at the moment. So last night, uh, my husband and I play golf. They have um, big floodlights on the golf course so you can go after work and play at night. And um, we were sitting there with a mate sort of having a beer after the game. Next minute, I reckon probably about 200 grand's worth of fireworks just went off. <laughs> <laughs> just while you're sitting out. Just while we're sitting out. And everybody just stopped go. They were the most incredible fireworks I've ever seen. I've never been to the Sydney Harbour for New Year's Eve, but let's say they were of that proportion, right? And there was something on. There was some launch of something, but we've reached that stage, right, where every day there is something. And every day I hear about another thing where, 
yesterday the rumour was, oh, yeah, Coldplay are coming. Really? I had no idea. Yeah, the Black Eyed Peas are coming. Oh, right. And, you know, there's all these, I guess, you know, for me it is phenomenal in that and, and quite a time to reflect because, of course, I think about all the people I've met here in our um, for want of a better term, I hate the word, but we all know it's coming in our journey. journey. Yes. <laughs> um, but there's, I think about all the people we met who came here to build things and make things and do things in for preparation. The yes. Yeah. And they are now five years into their new location somewhere else. And, you know, they're just watching on from afar with so, of something that was only talked about and dreamed of. And I think, you know, many of us thought, oh, gosh, is this going to come together? Like because, you know, I, I think a lot of people don't realise um, Qatar has now, when we first came here, I think there were less than a million people, but there was only 300,000 Qataris. So now there's 3 million people. There's still only about, you know, just over 300,000 Qataris, right? And so to build all those things and to make all those things, you've got to import a lot of labour and a lot of people to come and build those things for you. You know, it just doesn't exist that you're going, going to be able to do it on yourself by yourself. So there are many parts of Qatar's skyline that if, well, like last night, if you were sitting at the golf club 10 years ago and you looked out over the skyline where we were, there was nothing there. And now it's just a, a whole stream of um, skyscrapers and monuments and, you know, things that have been built, you know, specifically for that sort of yeah, growth. It's not many people that live a globally mobile life that have the longevity in a location mm. that you've had, particularly in one that's developed so much in the time that yes. you've been there. Yes. So a lot of long-term people live in Europe, for example, a European city or somewhere where yes. you've lived in a country that has really yes. taken off in terms of population and development in the time that you've been there. So it's been yeah. very special to be able to, to have that yeah. process on your yeah. journey. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I, I think I came to a place that was uh, more, you know, closer to when I think of, you know, some of the places I lived in Northern Africa. And now I live in a place that is far more like a Dubai. You know, it's, yep. it's just shot into this stratosphere. Um, and I think the world's about to see it. I think the world is about to be introduced to um, a whole new thing here. And, you know, I think, Nikki, it might be a good thing next week we can talk about. I saw you, you wanted to talk to me about some of the controversy of, you know, the World Cup and what it's like to live in a city. I think that, let's do that one next week when um, the World Cup's right on our doorstep um, because I think that's going to be the thing. I think, yes, it's copped a lot of flack, but we'll go into it more next week. But, yes, yeah, so it's been amazing to be here and we are very excited i have to say nikki one of the things that's happening at the moment uh which is very unusual because i saw there was a question no it hasn't been on yet we're going to put the question on the on the facebook group i'm, I'm stealing myself for it because you think <laughs> it's not going to do well either so we'll, we'll talk about it here um so someone has put in an anonymous post that I will put up this afternoon asking about working on weekends and they feel that their partner is doing a shed load of overtime and they they want to ask the group 
how much overtime do you work and how many weekends do you give up and is this normal? And they want to know where do you live and what do you do? And, um, Nikki, you know, the person sent both of us the message saying, can you post this? And I sort of wrote back and said, oh, you know, maybe if you change these small, very small things. And and then you said to me, oh, <laughs> in a different conversation, I don't really feel good about this. I can see how this is going to roll out. I can see the future of it. And and your, well, maybe Nikki, if you say what, what you think is going to, going to happen. Well, I think that people will say, because the person is living in America, so they wanted to know from the context of their point of view. Now, I know culturally <clears throat> Americans feel that they have very long work hours and that they do work more than other countries. And then so I said, well, the Americans will might pipe up with this information. I said, and then the people who live in Asia and have worked in Asia will pop up and say, well, you think you work long hours. You should see the hours we work here. And, you know, and then the other people who say, well, if we live this life and we have this privilege of moving countries, then you put up or shut up, you know, and you don't, you do the hours or you leave the job. And I could just see the sort of three strands of arguments going on. I did, did reply to the person and said, look, just FYI, my husband has worked every weekend since I can remember, particularly since COVID started. And he has set aside Sundays, you know, just to clear the email for the week ahead. So, um, (laughs) you know, I wasn't discounting what she said, you know, and he, because people in global roles take, you know, they take calls at the beginning and the end of the day, the extreme beginning and end of the day, um, you know, so they can dial into meetings in different countries, et cetera. So it's not a, it's not, it's not a diss on the question. The question is very valid because it it has a huge impact on your lifestyle and what you're able to do and what you're able to do as a family and is there any point living in another country if you can never get out and enjoy it because all you're doing is working so look yeah I I wasn't saying it wasn't valid I was just a little bit scared about what might be going on in the comments (laughs) oh yeah 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 and because because rightly so Nikki you can read what's going you can read two steps ahead right of what how it's going to roll out and and it is hard because everybody wants to well, people can, particularly I think with anonymous questions, people can be very opinionated because they're not actually speaking to a the person. poster. Yeah, you know they they they're not speaking to the person. Um, you know, we had someone yesterday who asked about saving their marriage and making a move, and there were a couple of answers where I thought, oh, ouch! I don't think you would have said that directly to a person. Yeah, um, yeah, and yeah, so that that's. That's one thing that happens. But, yes, I agree with you. I also think I was reminded only yesterday a guy was telling me about how he had moved to a country with a one-month-old baby and his wife and they had they had actually got off the plane in this new country where they'd travelled 15 hours to get to, gone to their service department. He had then, you know, made sure they had milk, eggs, butter, whatever with his wife and got in a car and gone straight to the office and he got to the office he got in the elevator this is with a massive multinational firm right he got in the elevator the hr guy turns to him and says well actually your job your job doesn't exist anymore oh and yeah and it just it brought back so many memories of people you know uh my partner worked for a massive big firm, commonly known as the Big Blue, and I used to hear story after story about that, people who had 
sold their house, taken their kids out of school, were in the cab on the way to the airport and got told, actually, you're not moving to Jakarta. Um, can you just go back and, you know, we'll sort, sort it all out. Just the way things were done. I mean, um, people these days, they want to know where they're going. <laughs> they want to plan ahead. <laughs> I mean, who do these people think they are? You know, in episode one of this podcast yes. in 2013, you know, these things were still happening. <laughs> um, but it really, uh, um, yeah, it made me think you do, like you said, when you have a global role, and, when, and maybe particularly if you work for a big company, you can get really sucked into the the massive wheel that's turning of, hey, we're dangling carrots of we're going to send you to Stanford for a you know twelve day course you know because we think you're you have so much potential to be one of our high performers and you know you're on a fast track to whatever. And they get you in those years where you maybe have a young family or you're, you know, you're trying to financially get kicking off buying houses, you know, doing whatever. And you get sucked into it all because you're just going, yes, 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 yes. Something different happens, I think, in your 40s. And then something different again happens in your 50s, which I'd love for us to talk about with careers and expectations and feelings about, you know, work and whatever. But yes, I think um, that question, yes, it will have the ability to cause a ruckus because people will want to show how hard they've worked or um, how many hours or truly other people will say, well, what do you expect? And you signed up for this or you asked for this or whatever. And then there'll be a lot a lot of people that want to talk about work-life balance. And you know, Well, I mean, what? let's be honest, the, yeah. they, the Danes apparently have an amazing work-life balance, but I mean, I, mean, I don't, yes. I've never seen it in my household. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, let me tell you about the Qatari work-life balance at the moment. So because of the World Cup and because we are having a million people are about to converge on the city, and those million people, like that's so how I've just told you, there's only three million people in Qatar and we're about to just not, almost double it, right? Um, because I think it's going to be more than a meal. But uh, a million people are going to come and they're all going where, you know, it's like they're all going to go to hotels and little hubs and onto cruise ships and all sorts of places. But they're very obviously worried about traffic. So they have said this week everyone's practising where you go to work at 6.30 and you come home by 11.30. And it's just this, you know, if you are a person that's worked incredibly long hours and, you know, like you may be someone that when someone rings you at 5 o'clock to say, hey, what's going on? And they say, I've got, I'm just clearing 80 emails, you know, out of my, and then I'll be home. It's an incredible thing to watch that person in my house come home at 11.30 and just look lost. <laughs> because what's the other thing that they're not allowed to do, Kirsty? They've got to leave their computers at work. <laughs> <laughs> and the reason they have to do that is you can imagine what they're worried about is they're trying to keep, I, I, this isn't the right terminology, but it's like the same as living in a household. You're trying to keep the bandwidth reasonably yeah. clear. You're trying to keep everyone off the internet because they're not sure what the effect's going to be, right, of a million people coming in all with their own technology and all tr suddenly, you know, all using the same technology. So they're saying, no, we really don't want you working when you get home. We want you relaxing and going to World Cup events and, you know, 
walking and doing all those things. We're very lucky that we're members of the golf club. I mean, if we if we still had four children here, we'd just be home with the kids. I think it'd be lovely. You'd just be, you know, swimming and hanging out together. It'd be like a COVID without the COVID. <laughs> okay, Nikki, you did something interesting. You put some questions out on the gram and wherever for our 200th episode. I'm interested, what did people ask? Well, people wanted to know um, lots of different things. And so I just put some of those questions on here that are things that come, came up more than once or a lot or whatever. So the first question was, when and how did you two meet? So, Kirsty, in my recollection, <laughs> yours might be different <laughs> because it was a long time ago. I, yes. I believe that we met on Twitter when Twitter used to be the kind and friendly Twitter where you made a lot of online friends that translated into in real life friends. Um, it's uh, it's very hard to explain to people what Twitter no, used to be like, is, isn't it? It's really hard. So in 2009, <laughs> I was made redundant from my job in Hong Kong during the GFC and I just turned to Twitter to fill my days because I was like, what am I going to do now instead of getting up and going to work every day? And so I went online and I found this amazing uh, mainly Australian community of the bloggers yeah. and all that kind of stuff. And you were in that mix. And through Twitter, I found um, the former for kids, 20 suitcases and Beagle recently rebranded to 20 suitcases. And mm-hmm. um, you've still got the four kids. You just don't take them with you all the time now. <laughs> <laughs> and the beagle. Yes, and the, oh, poor the poor beagle. beagle. And then the things that we had in common, you know, expat life, raising and educating our kids overseas, and then we found out we had ties to Adelaide. And so we met in real life on one of those times when we were in Australia. And then we met up, chatted, 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 took a selfie to seal the deal. It's still the best photo ever taken of the both of us together. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. And that's my memory as well because we, I reckon you, you were obviously an earlier adapter to Twitter than I was. So I moved to Qatar in no, the very end of November, I reckon it was about the 27th, 28th of November in 2009. Right. And I had, so my previous life was as a executive recruitment and that's what I'd done in um, Calgary when we'd lived in Calgary. I'd worked full time when we had four our kids then, I think, when we were in Calgary. I was only talking about this yesterday because we met some people who we found out were there at the same time. Yeah. You know, and we've known these people for years and did the whole, oh, my gosh, I didn't know that about you. Um, and, yeah, so that was what I was doing. We then moved on to Houston. We knew we weren't going to be in Houston for very long. I could have transferred with the company because it was one of yeah. those big multinational recruiting firms. Um but I knew that I wasn't going to be there for very long and it was like, oh, I don't think I can go through the whole please, please, please give me a job and do the right thing and then just leave, yeah. you know, in six months' time. So I we did Houston, we came to Qatar and it really was we um, we came with four kids, 20 suitcases <laughs> and a beagle. And it's funny, Nikki, because when you think about that we met on Twitter I think Twitter was probably easier to talk to each other and build communities back then than Facebook was because there were no Facebook groups. No. And you had you had your own Facebook page, but it really still back in 2009 it really was more for your friends. Yes. 
and stuff you information you would share with your friends whereas twitter really was communities and building communities and you know you'd follow things on hashtags and events would happen and everyone would talk it was also very light and funny yes it wasn't dramatic lovely and nasty it was so lovely i met so many lovely people on twitter same and you know many of those people um i think then went on to do really interesting oh amazing so You know, the whole thing with uh, my blog, the four kids, 20 suitcases and beagle, was I really thought it was just going to be for my family. And I thought it'll be a place where I'll put pictures of the kids and, um, you know, write stories, you know, of sort of more like more diary entries, you know, of today we went to this place, we found this place, take a cute picture of the kids at visiting, you know, exhibit A sort of thing. It never, ever was that. No. Like it. Right from day dot, I started writing stories and they weren't for my family. They, I think they were for me and for other people that I felt had lived the same experience. Like it just evolved. But I think at that time I met a lot of writers too yes. and or people that were learning to write and I watched other people's platforms grow because of it because that was one of the nice things about it was someone would write a story and whether it was um someone who was just you know living in their they were writing in their kitchen in a in Australia and they had a very different life than you and I had they would share a story that you would want to share you would then want to share that yes, story with everyone because it was you relatable know, and, and, and at, yeah enjoyable yes. and also you felt a personal connection because you felt you knew them through twitter like twitter really was yes. like that people <laughs> <laughs> yes. And tell me, Dickie, when was the last time? Because I think, you know, I shared so many people's blogs and stories yep. and things. Often I would yep. share it with everyone. Can you remember the last time you shared someone's blog? I, I can't. I, I've shared people's podcasts. That That's what I've shared. Yes. I said you should really listen to this podcast because everyone knows I'm a podcast evangelist. Yeah. But, and I, I, if someone says I'm not into them, I'm like, well, tell me what you're into and I will find a podcast that you will enjoy. <laughs> that's my yes. thing. Um, that is so your thing. I, yeah, I, no, I haven't shared a blog or a website of anybody of something someone's written for a long time, very long time. You're right. Yeah, yeah. Do you know one of the nicest things someone ever shared with me was um, at my 50th, an old, old dear, dear friend, my friend Darian, shared a song with me Um, and it's it's a song by the Mountain Goats called Same Time. um, No, is it Same Time Next Year or um, something? I'll I'll come to you with it. It's about it's things will get better next year, but it's a great upbeat, funny, uh, rollicking, dancing, fun song that I just absolutely loved. And I actually sent him a song yesterday, bizarrely. Probably that's why I've been able to remember it. Um, So yeah, it is funny. A girlfriend shared a newspaper article with me on the weekend, saying, "I think you'll really enjoy this," um, and sent it to my email. Um, and it was a story about Graham Arnold, the Socceroos coach, yep. which was I can highly recommend reading it, Nikki. It was in the Sydney Morning Herald. It was really, really good. He's a fascinating guy. Um, but, yeah, and, uh, you know, with a little note of why she thought I might find it interesting and blah, 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 and then a conversation came from that. But I think we've lost something with sharing those stories. Yeah, we? I th- we don't share stories as much now as we share articles 
and and not yes. the kind of article that you read, but sort of like here's something that proves my opinion. <laughs> you know, like yes. that kind of thing. Yes. I feel we're this is why I'm right. <laughs> yeah, that kind of stuff. And so I think that that's what we we tend to share more. Like I share links with you all the time, but they're links. Like I don't sort of say this is why I think you or you'd really like this or whatever. And you know, you probably share yes. a reel with someone more over Instagram. <laughs> yes. Anyway, yeah. yeah, it's funny, isn't it? So that was that was our thing yep. of how we met. And yes, because you had just you were in South Africa I was, at the time, yeah, weren't you? Yeah. I was pretty And busy. our children were young. Mm. Yeah. 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 You were climbing mountains. I don't know if you've told anyone about that. <laughs> that about time I climbed Mount Kilimanjaro. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't climb that until near the end of my time in South Africa. But yeah, no, I, the beginning of South Africa, I was deeply, deeply into Twitter because I, I didn't want to be in South Africa and I, I found it really difficult. So I just immersed myself in with my online friends. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I did too. I did too. And I think I was in a real world of um, I, I arrived in Doha with my youngest child was three, so he did nursery school in the mornings. The other three went to school full days, yeah, because they were yep. sort of grade one, grade two, grade four. And so it was that period of time at nursery school where I would drop Henry hot dog and then I would write a blog, spend some time online. It was probably perfect time to talk to people uh, in the southern hemisphere where you would have been as well too. It would have been sort yeah. of later in the day for you guys. And, um, yeah, it was just a beautiful time and I think then technology changed and it, there you go technology there's a lesson for everyone technology can change and kill a community yes 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 that that's true okay okay yeah so the next question Kirsty you can go first what was your favorite holiday that everyone always I'm wants be, to know that yeah I'm gonna be boring and say what we always say when people ask what your favorite country was where you like to live <laughs> um and that is that it really depends on the ages and stages mm. of your children so um for me really it's anything that involves I not only need a beach I have to have a pool I love the combo yes. of having a pool and a beach Strong because agree. I think kids kids love pools yeah. and um and then the beach is lovely for yeah. you know a dip and a walk and a whatever um so i would say though that when my children were very small when we were walking around with them attached to us and on our you know on our shoulders and attached to us and our baby bjorns which i'm sure are probably illegal now because they're dangerous um and all those things i would have said that disney was the most <sighs> epic yeah. thing that I ever gave my children and I still think about walking into Disney and just seeing the looks on my kids faces and one of my kids just screaming out there's Cinderella <laughs> and everybody running to Cinderella and them just really thinking they were in the happiest place on earth and I thought Disney did everything so well in that you could stay at the hotel and catch the shuttle bus to Disney and you had the hotel pool you had margaritas the size of your head 
you had fireworks at night. You know, you could do the whole go to Disney in the morning, go back and a swim and a sleep in the afternoon and then back for the fireworks that night and the kids just thought it was amazing, every bit of it. So that would have been small kids Disney. Then I think when we moved into when everybody could swim and everybody could feed themselves and whatever, definitely the Sri Lankas of the world, you know, where you had the pool and the beach and you could swim all day and go off in tuk-tuks and see things. And then I think now with teens, the most successful holiday we've done with teens and young adults has been Bali, unfortunately, because the kids love Bali because it offers all sorts of things to young adults as well where they can do pubs and clubs and watch sporting events and do whatever but also they get the pool and the beach and the you know and you can give them effectively 20 bucks and they will be able to buy all sorts of tit and tat for that um and now when i holiday i have just recently had my first holiday without children and my husband and we'll prop one that we've left somewhere you know where it hasn't we haven't had to provide babysitters and all the rest of it and we went to bangkok and i'm actually going to put it on the blog all the places we went to because I thought um, I got some great advice from people in the two fat expats group of where to go and what to do Um, and um, we did four days in Bangkok which was fantastic because Bangkok is amazing for food and um, culture and shopping and uh, just feeling like you're somewhere really crazy and in the city and busy and just wonderful and um, then we did four days of golf because we are now yes. addicted, now you're sad golfers. golfers. <laughs> we are middle-aged golfers. <laughs> We've got all the outfits and everything. We even have a bag that we travel with with our golf clubs in it. Like we have, we've we've become those people. You know how I used to laugh at people in Lycra that did cycling. Yes. I'm the I'm effectively that person with golf now. Anyway, so we went to a place called Hua Hin, which was three hours drive uh, out of Bangkok and it was a beautiful drive because someone came with a fantastic minivan that was really comfortable that you could put your feet up and fold your chair back and you know just relax and um, Hua Hin is everything you want it to be it's Thailand beach massive swimming pool and golf clubs that were designed by people like Jack Nicholas and Greg Norman where you just stand there and go, holy moly, oh, this is incredible. Do you know you're surrounded, there's a place called Black Mountain where you're just surrounded by mountains and just stunning rolling because, you know, in Thailand everything just grows out of the ground like you wouldn't believe. You don't have to do anything. Things just sprout, ferns just sprout out of the concrete. Um so that was amazing. Anyway, Nikki, tell me yours. What what have been your favourite? Well, the, the question was what's your favourite holiday and I think that's hard to yeah, answer. Yeah, no, it's really it? hard to answer but you can talk about things. So if you looked at my social media memories, the holiday that we had in Venice was unbelievable. So we got last-minute oh, accommodation yes. right on the Grand Canal. You opened the windows which was like doubled as doors and you could just like walk out. Mm-hmm. My son sort of shimmied mm-hmm. out into the middle of the Grand Canal on this sort of little bit of wood and everything. It looked amazing. Four days yes. of just we just did walking and ferries and you know there's no getting in the car there's just like you walk out the front door shut it and then you just walk back in like it's because Venice is a walking city obviously everybody knows that when we got home from that holiday 
And it was a beautiful time of year. It wasn't summer. It was shoulder season, you know, blah, blah, blah. My husband said, I'm never going on another family holiday again <laughs> because it was so <gasps> awful. But the photos look amazing. But the squabbling and the complaining and the wanting the Wi-Fi and the not wanting to go outside and that's not none of that's in the photos. But that was the end of my husband <laughs> wanting us to do fun family holidays together. So um, I think that that's, that's kind of a good indication. We, we do struggle to holiday together as a family, the four of us. We have very different interests. Um, but, yes, I, I think for when we were the kids were younger, group groups of families going on holiday. So we did Thailand like you did Sri yes. Lanka. So we went sometimes to a massive villa where we all stayed in the same villa in all different bedrooms. Yep. And sometimes we went to apartments that were all set in the side of a hill. Other time we went to like these bungalows, which were like very basic. It didn't really matter. It mattered that there was like a lot of people and a lot of kids, your kids' ages that they knew. And they just sort of, everyone hung yes. out together all day. And that was super awesome. Um, so that's, mm. I mean, and I'm all about pools and beaches as well. I'm a sun baby and I enjoy sunny holidays, but probably the best holiday we had as a family together was to Whistler one year because it was all very structured, which most of the people in my family like. So you go to ski school for a certain time during the day, or you have an instructor. Yeah. And then after that, you can relax because no one cares what you do anymore because you've had this allocated outside time, etc. And then you sort of yeah. eat together a meal as a family and then you go on the internet if you want and watch some YouTube or whatever. Like we don't care, but yeah. and everyone goes to sleep early on those holidays, so no one's up. And, you know. <laughs> so that was probably one of the nicest families family holidays we had. But yeah, it's it's it, it. I I am sure that my conversation about Venice and all the beautiful photos versus the reality will strike a chord with some of the listeners. I'm pretty sure that's. Yeah, I'll have a few messages <laughs> about that. As you've said all that, I've gone, oh, God, yeah, I didn't even mention Italy. <laughs> Italy was amazing. Yeah. That was a fantastic holiday. Yes. Yeah. And remember you went to, and I went there too, um, flying to Switzerland, crossed the border Oh, to, to Annecy. France, yeah, Annecy. To- I went with a friend Annecy. to Annecy. Yeah. That was amazing. Yeah. And I, that was incredible. Annecy was beautiful. That's one place I would definitely tell people to yeah. go. Um, yes, but we could go on we for could. ages on this. It's a podcast episode in itself. Uh, Nikki, what was the next question? The next question was, if you could choose your next destination, where would it be? Mm, I was only talking about this recently with my husband and I think going to Thailand uh, sort of, you know, it, it kicks back memories of different times. So for us, Qatar is a really good location for us for the fact that it is one straight uh, flight home, mm-hmm. which is really important to us, and and Qatar Airways does a daily flight to Adelaide. So it means if there's ever a drama with the kids, you can get on a plane that day and go, which is really important to us. Um, it's also very easy to live in Qatar. There is no hardship. Um, there is no nothing that's going to – and obviously the longer you're somewhere too, the more ingrained you get, you know how to do everything and it's much easier to live in. So you're thinking, oh, do I really want to go back to that world where the first six months is a complete uh, – you know, I, I've got a term in my head and I'm not going to say it. But um, <laughs> I think yes. we all know what it is. But, uh, whatever. Starts with, yes. starts with C, um, ends with K. I would really, though, if, if, if the world was your oyster and you had every opportunity, I think I'd really, I would love to go back to Asia. Um, 
And I think I'd really like to live in Vietnam. Oh, interesting. Yeah. What about you? Where would you right, go? Right. So this is super timely for us. Obviously, it's also an age and stage thing, I think. So our kids are older now and they're in Australia. And so Europe is too far to live in Europe. Uh, it's two flights and, you know, we're a one flight family as well. We've, mm-hmm. we've said that the next time we move, it's going to be one flight. Yep. And so for us, that's probably going to be Asia that we would think about. Um, would I include Hong Kong in that? I'm not sure. I don't know if you can go back to live somewhere you've lived before. I have this all the time. Hong Kong is my, is one of my heart places, but I'm just not sure. But Bangkok for sure. I would love to live in Thailand. Mm. I, and I know that people live there probably might be saying, oh, but it's such a lot. But I live now in Europe, yes. which is not such a lot. I miss sort of that busy, 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 busy all the time and the hustle yeah. and the, I sort of miss that vibe a lot of, about a city. Yeah. But, you know, and the other option is is to come back to Australia. So that's that's where I, we're in that yeah. sort of planning phase at the moment, deciding what to do. So, yeah, in Australia, I'm I'm less certain. Repatriation is enormous, and it's it's more than I can get my head around at the moment. But yeah, it, it's um yeah. So Asia, Bangkok would be my favorite place. That 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 would be my choice. If you had to pin me down, that's what I'd say. <laughs> Kirsty, in something that we've oh. talked about before, we've had a couple of podcast episodes and um, yeah. this was more specific. So what's your advice for introvert expats who struggle to make friends? So I think, you yeah. know, obviously it's going to depend when you, where you're living of what what's available to you, right? But I think... If you're, if you're an introverted person, you're obviously going to have your own interests and your own things anyway that, that hopefully involve doing it with someone else. So I know, and, and this is for, you know, it depends. If you're working, you're going to be going to work and making work friends and doing whatever. But I would strongly suggest you know, you can go and join all of those things, whether you're going to, you know, play mahjong, yep. play canasta. Um, you know, if you're looking for something that's not so rowdy, that's more a quiet sort of event. Um, if you're sporty, you go ride a bike, you go for, you join a walking group, you, you know, you do all of those things. I heard a couple say the other day, and I thought, this, this is really good advice and they, they are both like an introverted couple and they were saying that they got invited to a party in Dubai where it was a busy, frantic, you know, dancing, frolicking party and they saw another couple who were on the outskirts of the party looking yeah. in and they thought, they're our people. <laughs> And they said they shuffled on over to the other couple that were on the outskirts and started a conversation. And sure enough, those people have become their people and have been their people for 10 years. And, you know, they've stayed friends. And and the phrase this guy said to me was he said he finds that he takes two or three people from each location he's been in that, that he keeps that he then takes to the next location. And I thought... Yeah, that's probably about right. I think I've probably in the numbers been about the same of um, the people that you really – because he was actually saying how friends from home 
don't understand this because the friends he has from home are people that he's known his entire life and they don't change. You keep them all the same. And so they have this idea that his friend, his expat friends can't, can't possibly be real friends because they don't really know him, do you know, because they haven't known him forever like they have. And so they're not real friends because you just knew them for three years in Dubai, but they don't realize that the, for those three years in Dubai, you were telling them your entire life story and sharing some That's really right. significant They know moments. all about you. Yes, they know. <laughs> they probably know a lot more about you. So I think if you're introverted, you're, you're going to have to push yourself to get out the door. That's the number. You're not going to meet anyone in your living room. That, that's People are not going to come to you. So you're going to have to push yourself, which is it's hard if you're an introvert, but then pick pick those more quieter things, you know, the 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 quieter sports, the quiet, the walkers groups, the, um, you know, I've just, because I've come home and oh, come home, listen to that. There's a Freudian slip. I've come back to Qatar and I, I don't have the school gate anymore and the school network. No. So mine has been, I, I thought I was going to play Mahjong. I haven't quite got there yet. Um, but mine has been golf. And so I pushed myself out of my comfort zone and took myself along to ladies golf morning on Thursday, knowing that I was going to be terrible at it and that everybody else was going to be better than me because I'm a new golfer. You know, this is a new sport for me. And then was pleasantly surprised that there were actually quite a few people that were like me because they'd all done the same thing. They were just there to meet some people and have some fun, do you know? And it, it, yeah. it was a very quiet, easy way because you're in groups of four, you're walking out in the open, you know, it's all, it's it's not too much. It's not a sensory overload. It's not, you know, too full on. Yeah. What would, what would your advice be? Yeah, so I think, you know, finding your tribing community is so important, but it is a little bit easier for extroverts mm. than introverts. And so not everyone feels turning comfortable turning up at a coffee morning or you know posting in the local group like looking for friends hit me up whenever I see that in a group I'm always like gee you're brave yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna start a whatsapp group to do this uh come and join me or we're all gonna meet at you know but there are some some organizations that are specifically um set up for that so you know there are women's organizations but there are also just regular organizations and like you talked about the sports that, that you're interested in uh and i so i just think you've got to find if you have something that's a passion to you or you, an interest to you or something you've always wanted to do start doing it and and then you'll find people that way that have a have a similar interest i mean my son is recently arrived in australia well recently he came in april so it's he's been near here nearly eight months and he is extremely introverted and you know it's I always say you know buddy it's just a bit of a longer runway you've just got a bit of a longer runway that you to you know to take off into your friendship groups that you're going to form and, and friends you're going to make but the friends he makes when he does are super solid and yes you know, he, he doesn't feel that he needs so many, whereas I feel that I need a lot of people. So my husband and I were talking about towns in Australia and he's like, I said, so what's the population of that town? You know, <laughs> how many people live there? <laughs> what could be my possible pool of people that I would have to have? Because extroverts can need like a lot of people, like they need lots of different groups. And But introverts, this is not a, a broad brushstroke, but it can be that 
introverts need less people. Yes. And so they they can be satisfied by having social interaction with less people. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know. But I, I, as I've always, but I also, I also hate, and I'm relatively extroverted, but I hate going to coffee mornings as a new person or mm. anything I haven't been to before as a new person. I don't enjoy it. I feel sick. I find lots of excuses not to go. I'm always late. Uh, you know, like it's just I'm terrible at it. Yeah. So I, I, I definitely feel for people that are more introverted. I definitely feel I feel for you because I, I'm not, and and I do struggle from as well. So yeah. yeah, um, you know, Nikki, I don't need a lot of people. I think I'm one of those weird introverted extroverts that people talk about. You know, I think I, yeah. I think I look very extroverted. And um, I, I would say, hey, does anyone want to catch up for a coffee or whatever? But that my mindset yep. is always more, oh, there's someone out there that's lonely or is waiting for someone to put that thing out there. So I'll put yep. it out there uh, because I've been that person at, at home wanting someone yeah, to, sure. to ask. Yep. Um, so but I definitely don't need a big group of people and yeah I it's it's funny isn't it and I'm the same I'm actually dying on the inside every time I've got to walk into one of those places yeah. <laughs> and you know that's the whole thing with Mahjong because I know Mahjong's quite complicated and so mm. my question has always been are there other new people there like would you put me on a table with some other new people you know because I'm not going to be good at this sort of thing and I was the same with golf are there other new people is there a group I can get into where there's new people and maybe that's a really good question for an introvert to ask when they're going to a group thing like do you have a newcomers group because I think if you find the newbies who are like you and are are treading carefully um, they're going to be your people too because you're going to do it together. Yeah, agree. Okay, Kirsty. Another question that we had, which I thought was really interesting, was: Would you do any of your expat parenting differently? And obviously, they ask us this because we say all the time that we have done it for twenty <laughs> years, and so, and we also have twenty-year-olds. Yeah. So, um, so we are, and we've lived overseas for all of their lives. So we have made a lot of decisions along the way. And do we regret any of them or would we do that differently? Yeah. I think that's a better way to yeah. say Yeah. So, you know, instantly the thing that came to my mind, the only, the only real thing that I've thought about with my kids that I could have done better um, is uh, maybe some of the sporting decisions because I think it was tough for them getting back to Australia and finding sports, you know, that matched in with sports because – their, their, the very last school they went to was an American school. The sports were very different than the sports that we have. And yeah. if they had been in a British system, they would have played the same games that they would play in Australia apart from Aussie rules. But, you know, you could you could throw in rugby and get enough Aussie rules, you know, skills in that. But, but you're not yeah. going to get those skills playing baseball as such, or, you know, Mm. those American sports. Um, So that's the only thing. But I have to say one thing my uh, husband and I think that we did really well, that we're really happy with, is 
that we did make that, that decision that they were going to go to boarding school because that was a really hard decision because when you've got a child who, you know, at that stage, I, I think we started talking about it when our eldest was about 10 because we knew we were going to come to Qatar and stay long term and then it, then it was making a choice of, well, are you going to repatriate into a high school or are you going to repatriate into a university? And I think that was a big thing for us was because repatriating in your university years in Australia is really, really hard in my mind because we don't do the same residency colleges in that same way, uh, particularly in the city that we're from in Adelaide. There's most kids have been to school in that city and then, live the, you know, they go to university in that city. So it's one thing that we do say all the time because we look at our kids now and we look at them with their friends from high school and it is just this constant, oh, th- thank goodness we did that. They have a whole network of people. Um, and I think because they're all very close, even though there are times that they would kill each other, I'm sure, you know, I have three children that all live together in a house quite happily together, um, which makes my life easier as well. So I think that sort of planning, because, because they went off and they went to boarding school and they went to the same sort of schools and brother, sister schools, and they all consequently have same they know all the same people do you know they got into a little community of their own then they moved into a house together I think we have made their repatriation as easy as it possibly could have been do you know I don't think we could have done any better but yeah the only thing I would think about that I would have with my parenting um is yeah maybe the sport because I I I think the success with expat parenting is providing a home where people feel great stability because if they know that you've always got their back and they know that you feel strength in your convictions of what you've chosen I think there's a solid base there you know, so um, whereas I think if kids aren't really sure what's, what, how things are going to pan out, they can get really nervy about how things, you know, rightly so. Um, I think you've got to be really honest with your kids about how you see the future unfolding. I think kids need to know what, what does that look like. Maybe some kids don't, but I think my kids needed to know what how, what the rules were and what it was all going to look like and know that it was, feel that there was some comfort that mum and, it's okay, mum and dad have bought this house and they've got this plan and this is how it's going to look. And Because I think it's when they're not too sure how it's going to look. When your kids are getting to university age, I have a lot of expat kids around me that are really struggling in their first couple of years of university and um, because it is a really big call to send a kid back to another country to repatriate on their own. It is huge and it's heart-wrenching and you still want to do everything for them and you still want to be there but they are an adult (laughs) and you've got to let them do some things on their own. But, you know, I had... I had a heartbreaking conversation with a girlfriend only this week 
about her daughter's experience of being back at university, of starting university in America and what she's been through and the struggles she's having and and how difficult it is if you have an expat child who says, I want to come home and they're talking about your expat location and where, where you live, live. Yeah. and you're thinking, but this isn't your home and there's, you know, you won't get a work visa here. What will you do here? You know, what What can we possibly give you here? That is, that's hard. That's really hard. And, and that's so true because once you turn 18 and you're not in full-time schooling, like high mm-hmm. school, you don't, can't get the same visa as your parents. Like you're yeah. not able to be necessarily, unless you have permanent residency, you know, in that country together with the, the person. So together with your family. Mm. And, you know, when we moved to Copenhagen, we had to get special permission for our son to move because he had finished school. And we said, we just want him to come with us, you know, because of COVID yeah. and yeah. all these things. So, and but we had to wait and see if they approved yes. it. Like it wasn't a done deal, you know, and we have no residency rights in Europe. So, you know, we were super lucky that they approved it and they said it was okay. But in a lot of situations, it doesn't get approved or it, it just doesn't happen. You can't do it. So it is really difficult. I, and I think that what you're saying is is um, true and, and that you guys had a really solid plan. But not everyone can necessarily do it mm. that way for, for various reasons. Boarding school isn't an option for some children. Some children just aren't suited to yeah. boarding school. So does that, and they'd be more miserable yes. than not to go there. So does that mean that you repatriate at that time or does that mean you have the conversation about, you know, you don't go now but you might go for university and, and therefore let's talk about what that will look yeah. like and plan ahead for mm. that then and sort of get them in the mindset and get the whole family in the mindset. Yeah about it so yeah because I think that that is a really tricky thing and you know you come back you come to a country and even if it's your home country and you haven't lived here for a long time or never lived here you know there are really difficult things like we know moving countries is hard yeah (laughs) and you know because we've done it a lot of times and if you do it when you're 18 or 19 I mean that's really tough yeah and by yeah. yourself, you know, and it's all very well for your parent to fly in and, you know, drop you off, so to speak. But, you know, where do you go in the breaks, yeah. like in the long weekends yep. and the, you know, and the in-between term times? And That's the, right. do you go all the way back? Like, is it expensive? Do you have to stay and work? Do you have a job? Like, where can you live when your residential college is shut? You know, there's all and these. And how you do know, you feel when all these new friends that you make are going home, you know, for if you're American, they're going home for Thanksgiving and, you know, your parents are right across on the other side of the world. Um, Yeah, it is. It's really tough. Um, And I think, Nikki, that is why so many expats go home when their kids reach high school because they they don't want to do it. They don't want to have their kids go through that experience. They want to get them home and settled in high school. And I totally understand it. So, yeah, you have to decide, well, if that's not an option for you, if you can't if you can't get home uh, when your children, like if your job doesn't allow you to get home, well, then you've got to get that plan in place to make that easiest transition for them because it is, it is hardcore, I think, to expect a 19-year-old 
to or 18 year old to you know repatriate on their own it's really hard and you know we're we're working through that and it, it's tough and i think that you know would we have done things differently I, I don't think so and you can't plan for covid so no one knew covid was happening and i think a lot of these kids that are struggling now also are struggling yes. because they're they're coming fresh out yes. of covid and people are talking about universities not being the same as they were pre-covid yes. because you know there's more online options there's more there's all sorts of different things yeah. happening with different people and in different environments so i think that you know it's it's university now even you know is not the university that we remember and it's not the university of three or four yeah. years ago so it's a whole different situation as well so not to be a downer <laughs> but there are just lots of things to consider like everything there's there's many many things oh to consider. did you see my little thing on uh, instagram the other day of of what's the opposite of a debbie downer it's a beth amphetamine <laughs> yes okay nikki we have talked for a long time so we're only going to do one favorite thing instead of our usual three favorite things so if you had to pick one what would your one favorite thing be well we haven't done a podcast for a while so there are a lot of things on my list but i have to say um i would say one thing and it's you know i want to keep with my theme of being the queen of you know the popular TV. <laughs> so I have discovered a series in Australia in my downtime that I've been watching called yes. All American. And it's basically Friday Night Lights, which yeah. I loved, but it's in oh. California. And I've discovered it when there's already four oh, seasons. Oh, don't you Yay. love that? Because you know you can just plough <laughs> your way through. So Friday Night Lights was Middle America, the South football, pretty white um, in terms of the cast and the stories. And this one is much more multicultural. There are two um football teams it's in california one at beverly high one at south (laughs) crenshaw so it's loosely based on the true story of a player who made it to the nfl who was from south la and then played at beverly hills high and he is a consultant on the tv show but i think it loosely is the real thing here like there's so many beautiful young people and so many complex storylines uh but it's just what it's it's a little bit like friday night lights in that you know it's just a everything turns all right in the end it's a little bit more darker and you know there's some gang related stuff um so it's not as wholesome i guess but uh yeah no it's it's a good turn your mind off thing okay so my my favorite 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 thing was a movie that i watched just recently which is a canadian movie it's a comedy drama and it's based on a true story it's called peace by chocolate and it's all about a young man who uh, he's from a Syrian family. It, it kicks off there in Syria. You can see the war has started. They have a chocolate factory in Syria and the father is the, you know, the best chocolatier and they have to flee Syria and then they flee Syria and then you just sort of fast forward three years later and the son, who is an adult son, uh, is transferred to a small town in Canada in the middle of winter and it's the start of his refugee status and then he slowly gets his mother and his father over and um, it is just a story beautifully told and the fact that it's true makes it even more lovelier and you sort of see things at the end that will enhance your memory. You'll see Justin Trudeau talking about them. You'll go, oh, yeah, I actually remember that now. But it's just um, 
I think what makes it so beautiful is it's that classic small town uh, where, you know, refugees can often be embraced more than big cities because they can get into yep. communities easier. Um, and just uh, language barriers and, and just the hilarity that language barriers provide. So that's where you get sort of most of your comedy from. But also you get a real insight into a refugee family and how much pressure is on the children because they're usually the ones that can speak the language more and get out more and um, have more of a future, whereas the parents are sort of sitting in the back just um, – uh, more there's deep sadness about what's lost um, and, you know, more of a worry about getting more people, you know, they, while the son's there, they can't get the daughter there and, you know, the worry that that contains. And so it's just a really lovely story and um, sort of about their their rise as well because dad starts making chocolates in the kitchen and then those chocolates start getting sold at church and then there's a bit of a, a rivalry between the, the the local lady who's got the chocolate place in town and her not being happy and, um, yeah, and, and just the son always sort of having to put his dreams on hold because he's really got to keep it together for the entire family and it's just a beautiful beautiful feel good and one of those lovely things where at the end you get to see the real family and the real family in action and what goes down in their life and it's really lovely and yes I too had lots of other things Nikki but I reckon there's a stock standard thing there'd be a few things that everybody would be talking about at the moment I'm sure everybody's talking about the crown um, which you and I, you and I have both watched, haven't we? What What's your general summary of the the Crown? I I find it harder the closer they come to times that I'm familiar with. Yes, and I I yeah, I, I struggle with it more. And I also didn't buy all the actors this time as the in their roles. Yes, whereas I thought the older yep. ones, the ones in it. So, but it's only because. I remember Queen Elizabeth and Prince Philip being the ages they're meant to be in this series, you know, and I remember Prince Charles. Yes. When they're younger, you don't remember that or whatever. I didn't see it. So it's yes. it's, it's okay to imagine that they were them. But I, I just, I felt yeah, I enjoyed it, but I... I didn't find myself Googling as much stuff as I did in the past, in the past seasons. Like, I was, oh, yes. Google this, did this really happen, et cetera. Yeah, and I think I think this is the first one too where we've had people in modern day like John Major be able to say, this is rubbish, yes. that never happened. Yes. So I think that it's, it's a little bit more controversial and, and you know, it's coming on the, the death of the Queen and so it's been quite a big year and they don't really want any more negative yeah. not they just it, it it's come at a time where there's a, been a lot of discussion about the royal family and so i think that it's been analyzed a little bit more in that way in that you know as you say john major says this isn't happened and judy dench came out and asked you know for <laughs> you know for made wrote a letter to the public yes. to say you know this isn't true but how do we know if it's true or not i mean except john major but no one's allowed to say what they talk about with the queen and the queen's diaries are locked away for 50 years so we'll never know that's right that's right. And I also think it's a particularly dark time in history. There wasn't a lot of joy and happiness. So 
uh, it's a very grey, the whole thing is presented to you in a very grey and dark manner as well. Um, but yes, because the queen isn't having the happy frivolity. The one thing I really did love about it, though, was when they brought the old actors back to, um, so I don't think I'm giving anything away by saying that this season of the queen starts with the Britannia and ends yes, with the Britannia, I that, yeah. uh, which is, of course, yeah, her, 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 uh, her boat. <laughs> but um, I thought it was lovely that they brought Claire Foy back to play that role when you got to see that they do that very well they always do old and new at the in season one whether it's the stamps and you see the new queen looking at the old stamps or the you know we had we started with the uh claire foy and then then we kicked off just seeing the eyes of of the new queen um, yeah, but I'm with you. I was exactly the same. And I, I think I'd read where John Major had said, you know, that meeting never happened. That's just absolutely, completely fabricated. And it was like, oh, well, it's going to be hard for me to believe any of this now because really John Major, he stars yes, yes, in he's very, this season yes. of The Crown. There's so yeah. much of him. Um, so you're thinking every scene they're on, you're going, well, that happened? Did that really happen? Like I found it quite unbelievable that he would have had the involvement in the divorce that that they um, they indicated that he did. Yeah, agreed. And the other thing, of course, that everyone's going to be talking about is Yellowstone season five. <laughs> yes, <laughs> which is back. Have you watched it yet? Yeah. Uh, I don't think oh, I finished no. season four. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> but I did see that it was there, and um, yes, my my husband will definitely be watching that. You know, while I was sitting next to my husband on a plane watching um, Peace by Chocolate and absolutely enthralled in this beautiful story, I looked over and my husband was watching June, (laughs) as in D-U-N-E, and I tapped him on the shoulder and said, you know, this movie's lovely and it's based on a true story and it's really lovely. And he went, yep good for you and kept watching June and then at the end of the flight I said so did you just watch June because it was an overnight flight and you know we were asleep after the first movie and he goes yeah and I said oh well you know that movie I watched he said yeah I love June I've watched June four times and I was like what people really love June I was sitting at a a meal the other night really I'm really sad that second June isn't out yet I'm like really Oh, because I could see it out of the corner of my eye, and it's I was a lot thinking, of sand. It's everything yeah. I don't like. It's a lot of sand. It's a lot of dystopian sort of stuff. There's a lot of you know. G tried to explain it to me about why it was so good, all the different story plots, and I was thinking, no, I, I, I really need my movies and podcasts and books and everything. I need them to be believable. Yeah, no, 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 well, no. You got to, you got to, no, you got to escape. Come on, there's escapism. Yes, no. Yeah, I'm, I'm not, <laughs> not good, not good at that. Okay. <laughs> All right, Nikki, um, we have talked for a very long time. Congratulations on your 200th podcast episode. Yes, yes. well, I guess because it's not its not theoretically your 200th, is it? It's, no, it's, it's not mine. No. So how many have you done? Have you done those numbers? I think it's it's about 175. Uh, oh, no, no, one, 150, 150. Right. I think there was about 25 episodes each season in the first two seasons and I joined in season three. Oh, well, and we're all better for it. 
<laughs> okay, well, we'll be back next week with the, um, well, we're going to start, I think not next week, but we'll start the new season. So we're kicking to season nine and we're going to have a little bit of a format change up, I think, yeah. as well. Okay, sounds good. And I can tell you all about what the World Cup looks like at that stage. Super excited. Yeah, we might have to have a World Cup special in, in between. Yes. <laughs> Yes. Okay. All right. See you later. Bye-bye.